0: Politicians are the virus. Yeah, man, maybe I am dumb. You think you're free? You think you're free just because you can't see the cage they keep you in? Fauci jerked off a pangolin, and now we all have COVID. It's us against them, guys. Get out there and spread that love and liberty. Let's go. How are all my favorite liberty lovers doing today? Listen, guys, you know I love to run my mouth. You know I love to make dumb jokes and slander the state, and you know I do it here with you guys because the bride's tolerance for my fat mouth is down to nothing, but I'm not going to run my mouth today. We're going to head straight into the main event. I know you guys dig me, and I dig you too. I do. I love you guys, but let's be real. You didn't come here today for me. Nope. You came today to listen to one of the wisest men among us. You're hoping you can catch a handful of wisdom you can stick in your pocket and keep it for later, and that maybe that wisdom might make you just a little bit smarter and make your life a little bit better. And you know what? Pay close attention because it just might do that. Let's get into the show. Okay, guys, today we are joined by an author, liberty advocate, and a doctor who delivered over 4,000 babies, then moved on to raise a ruckus in the House of Representatives for a decade For decades, before becoming a three-time presidential candidate, he's inspired millions to join the Liberty Movement. He's a national treasure. He's a personal hero of mine. We're with living legend, Doctor Ron Paul. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine, thank you. Yeah, it's 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 a real honor to talk to you. So thank you so much. Um, I want to get into the economy and the war because you know that's what's hot right now. But it's not every day you get to interview someone you admire. So first, I want to ask something about you, if that's okay. Okay. Um. You became someone who I looked up to during your presidential campaign. And it was over it was when I saw that Rudy Giuliani movement or the the moment in the debate. So you were you you were saying in the debate that basically if we wanted to prevent another terrorist attack from happening again, we should try to understand why they attacked us and not repeat the same mistakes. And Giuliani got all excited and demanded you apologize, and people cheered wildly. And after after that, after hearing the audience, most politicians would have adjusted. They'd, they'd read the audience and they'd adjust. But you stayed the course, you plowed through, stayed true to your convictions. It was an amazing moment in presidential debate history. And millions of people at that point, including myself, saw you as a man of principle. So that was that was a famous moment. That was important to me. But what I want to know is, in your time in public life, what are you most proud of?
1: Oh, boy. I, I, you know, there's no one thing. I I, I think, It's a general thing and that is my motivation for even running for office. I was never to get into politics as much as it was to uh, alert people about the serious problems we have. And it was related to the lack of liberty and especially related to the monetary system. So it was uh, uh, talking about the monetary system and relating it to the uh, cause of liberty. But if it it wanted to be more specific of, of certain events, I would say that uh, <clears throat> I was surprised and sometimes dumbfounded at the reception I got uh, during the presidential campaigns. And uh, I, I think I enjoyed uh, you know, going to the college campuses because I, I got encouragement because I saw a lot of young people. And the thing that amazed me was whether it was considered a liberal or a conservative campus, uh, the reception seemed to be very similar. So I decided that young people, uh, you know, have uh, open minds rather than the the uh, middle aged individuals that have been in political parties, uh, you know, most of their lives or their political lives. Uh, there's a big difference. Same way with the uh, middle aged businessmen. they they've learned to live with a system. And I wasn't. I was challenging the system. So it it was a a pleasure for me to see. How many young people responded? And the neat thing about it is, I don't know uh, what good it did, except for the fact that they say, if you did any good, you probably don't even know about it. And Matt, I, I can't remember if we met, but I'm glad we're talking today. And, and I think it's wonderful that, uh, that, that there are individuals. So it is a surprise. I believe in the remnant and in, in a little bit of enlightenment with the, uh, the remnant who's trying to uh, cling and understand and describe what it'd be like to uh, live in a free society. Uh, that got me pretty excited.
0: Yeah, well, the, I mean, oh, man, there's no doubt you motivated millions of, of young people and you motivated them about boring topics like ending the Federal Reserve. Like that bores the pants off of anyone I talk to about it. But somehow you got college campuses riled up about the idea of ending the Fed and ending the wars. That's amazing. Um, the economy right now, we're on the brink of a, a financial crisis. Like it's undeniable at this point. Um are you hopeful? We also just came out of COVID where we had our liberties just stripped away. Are you hopeful at this point with what's going on in the economy, what's going on with the wars coming out of COVID, that Americans will once again latch on to the liberty message in massive numbers and that we can actually liberate ourselves?
1: Well, well, I am. I lean toward the optimism mainly because of what I just described, you know, because uh, there was a reception for that message. And if I would have minced the words and made it sound business and made sure somebody would come up, you know, if somebody came up to me before one of these speeches and said, just remember Ron, you know, one half of these people here are getting student loan and they want reassurance by their student loan, uh, that nobody would have ever done that to me and I wouldn't have ever considered it. So that, uh, that to me was, uh, very important. So I, I think that, uh, I think I'm optimistic uh, because of the fundamentals that are going on, because because you have a show and you're just one of many. There are more. And uh, I think there are a number of people in just the statistic, which is unknown, that there are a lot more people now who say that. we need to uh, at least audit the Fed. We need to find out what this monster is doing. Yeah, and yeah. I, would, I would say that I, should be optimistic. First, you have yeah. to change people's minds, and then the politics will follow. You don't change the politics and then change people's minds. you got to change people's minds, and uh, then they have to have a goal, and it has to either be for liberty or uh, messing up liberty. So uh, and everybody knows where I stand.
0: Yeah. And speaking of auditing the Fed, I, I think I just read it on Twitter like 10 minutes ago that Thomas Massey introduced a bill today to, to actually audit the Fed. So that would be tremendous. Um, the 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 federal right inflation, it's the rapid expansion of money injected into the economy. A lot of people confuse it with prices going up. It's actually the thing that causes prices to go up by lowering the value of the dollar. And I learned that from you. Now, the Federal Reserve's response to this now is they're going to raise interest rates by like a quarter of a point will this do anything to slow down the escalating cost of american life
1: no the most thing the, the one thing that they'll slow down is the functioning of a lot of people's brains because <laughs> they'll think well these guys know what they're doing and i does not know so yeah it's a quarter percent and the markets the markets are interesting i love to watch the markets because uh people do make money on it. So they first have to understand economics. And they would say, well, this is silliness. But on the other hand, they'll say, yes, but how will the response be? What will the government do? What will the bankers do? What will the military industrial complex do? What will the spending do? And then they have to interpret, uh you, you know, in a, in a broader sense. And they might even be people that know better. Uh, and I don't like to think in those terms in the political terms i want to think in terms of you know what is the issue mm-hmm. and printing money is a bad idea and that's why we're in this crisis so it's uh it's it's something that uh is ongoing and uh, i think more people are going to be alert to it but people have asked me over the last several years uh, since i've been talking of well, maybe more than several, for a long time, that, you know, there's going to be a crisis, there's going to be a crisis, and, you know, things are going to happen, and the standard of living is going down, and, and, you know, and and even when I gave those talks on campuses, I would approach it that way, and I was always amazed that uh, most people who came up and talked to me afterwards would say, Father, what I like about you is you're an optimist. I just spent 45 minutes saying, you know, we're in big trouble, (laughs) But right. the reason for that is that uh, there there is an answer to it, and that that's uh, that's what we need, and that's uh, that's that's what is is important that we do have an answer, and we we should be optimistic about it. Otherwise, life gets very very boring and very very negative. It tends to make people mm-hmm. feel like it's a dead end street, and uh, you know the speeches I gave, I always said people should. People should get together and have some fun doing it because we don't know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day. But then they say, when is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? I said, well, it's hard to say. We know it's coming, but there will be an event. But I said, the warning sign will be that they're going to play these games and messing around with interest rates, stimulating the stock market, bailing out everybody, increase the welfare and all this thing but they're going to be able to hide the real condition but the one thing they can't hide is when the people go to the store and they yeah. found out that 2 months ago they paid $2 for a loaf of bread and today it cost them $4 can't hide That's, that. that and and that has already started yeah, you know every- people get the shock and that means See, you can say well the dollar is going to get weaker and I said well, gold's not doing all that great. And in the international currency markets, this dollars doing pretty well. We're still the reserve currency of, uh, of the world. And people like our dollars. We can still buy oil, that sort of thing. But uh the, the market is very, very smart. And that's how the that's how the Brenton was ended. The market overwhelmed the fixing of the gold price at $35 an ounce, which was a lie. And finally the market overwhelmed. But it, sometimes it takes time, and, uh, but it gives you time to think about it, to try to plan and change people's minds. But uh, I think right now we're, we've entered that. The door has opened up, and mm-hmm. I think the standard of living is going to go down uh, for most people uh, because the debt has to be paid. It's going to be paid by the liquidation of the mm-hmm. debt with fiat money.
0: Yeah, you, you you said the thing they can't hide is prices going down and going up. And when prices go up, that's when all the moms in the country start to take notice. And when moms take notice and they get involved, that's when things start to change, right? Like nobody gets in a mom's way. Um, You, you also said that that people will say, Ron Paul doesn't know, Ron Paul doesn't know. And and that infuriates me because all of us libertarians, we experience that in our lives where we we talk about something is going to happen, the thing happens. And then we're on to the next thing. And they they don't recognize that, hey, Ron Paul got it right. Maybe uh-huh. we should listen to him going forward. Like you saw all this coming. You said it was coming. It came. And now they're still going to say, uh, you know, Ron Paul is a, a broken clock. A broken clock gets it right twice twice a day or whatever it is, right? Yeah. So Go ahead. <laughs> they don't listen. What I, the, raising the interest rate a quarter point is not going to work. If you were appointed like the head chairman of the Fed, and it's your job to fix the country and you can't just blow up the fed what would you do what's the right move
1: i'd resign <laughs> well, you can't because resign cuz that would endorse the idea that you that what you need is a better manager of the money but nobody can manage the money like that right. than the need the marketplace uh, i've asked that to other people who uh, are, are respected and one thing that could be worked out, I guess, if you want to try, because if if you had a the right kind of Congress who systematically cut spending and, and you know reduced the size and scope of government, changed our foreign policy, uh, yeah, you could work your way out of it. it. It it's not not going to happen, happen. But you could uh you could modify it, which they're trying to do now, uh, and they waited way too long. Now they know they, they have to have a correction. It's way too late for years and years. I said, Oh, we have to destroy the money at a 2% race. And that's the right number. Inflation rate at 2% mess it up for the people who say just steal 2%. And I said, it's not going to work. And and I've been, when it's two, before, you know, it, it's going to be more, I can't even remember how many days it was 2% inflation rate. You know, it went mm-hmm. from, it went from, uh, uh, 2%, which, uh, They called it two percent. It was probably really four or five. Right. And all of a sudden, it's uh, now they admit it's nine.
0: Who knows uh, what it is now?
1: And and Uh. it's much worse. But the the, you know the the individuals who have to go to go to the store and buy the groceries, uh, they know there's something big going on, and uh, that that they cannot uh, ignore that at all. But uh, no, I I think the most important thing I could do is to continue to do exactly. What uh, I'm doing uh, because the, the whole thing is, in a practical sense, uh, you know, the deep state uh, uh, wouldn't, wouldn't like me there very much. I mean, no. they Well, they, they, they proved
0: they, that last time you ran. They, I mean, they they wouldn't let you in the debates. They changed the rules of the convention. They saw you as a threat, and they took action. So <laughs> it's it's hard to get it's hard to fix it from the inside. Yeah. Um, what What do you think about crypto? Could that could that save us? Like it sounds like you're saying a correction is coming, no matter what the Fed does. We're in trouble. There's going to be a correction, um, and maybe you're maybe you're positive because you feel that from that correction, people will learn. I don't know. But what about crypto as a solution to getting rid of the Fed, getting them out of the equation?
1: Well, the one thing for sure is I've talked a lot about it uh, in in the in the debate over competition and, and currencies. Uh, because I think there should be competition. And uh, I I think that uh, uh, we should repeal legal tender laws, and we should repeal all the laws that tax money. So if you're trying to compete with the dollar with a gold standard, and the gold goes up in dollar value, and you get taxed for it, that's not money anymore. That's just a controlled. and, And that's the same way with uh, with anything that the, go- that the non-government people create. So uh, I see some weak spots in cryptocurrencies in that uh, the originators and the early people who have benefited by it sort of wanted credibility and it is bothered me they said well you know if we have the sec regulating us we'll look like real, real oh, money right. and then and, and uh, we we should uh, we can't hide uh you know we we have to have an open door for the for the uh irs so they have to be able to check the books and this sort of thing so they send out bills now and they're yep. able to keep up so it's really, but the principle, the principles that I follow is competition money. Repeal all the laws, uh, all the uh, uh, all the, ta- uh, the, the tax laws, so that there's no taxation on that, uh, and let the market work. But you you can't allow a fraud to occur, and uh, the other reason why I don't argue the details on how it's going to work is because it's a little bit confusing to me. Yeah. You know, well, it's confusing. Uh, yeah. to everyone. Yeah. I, I understand. Uh, you, you know, commodity money, and uh, and and I try to answer the questions that are asked. And uh, history is uh, pretty friendly toward commodity money. You know. Uh, and I still suspect that uh, the resolution eventually will be uh, a commodity money. Uh, hopefully, we could have the government much, much less involved. But I wanted to make sure that the opportunity for people who have the uh, ability uh, to come up with something like a cryptocurrency, that this remains legal with the only restrict- restriction being that you can't commit fraud.
0: Yes. Gotcha. i Yeah. Um. All right. So let uh, I don't have you for a ton of time. I also want to get into the war a little bit. Right now we have people like Tulsi Gabbard and Tucker Carlson. They're being called traitors for pushing back against the war narrative. Pretty much anyone cha- challenging the propaganda is being called treasonous. It, and this it seems like it was a, a dangerous precedent that was started on January 6th by calling trespassers into the Capitol terrorists. Um there's there's been a a push to more and more aggressive language and labeling Americans as traitors or um, terrorists. Where does this end for the American people if they don't put a stop to it?
1: Well, badly, because that started uh, really the day after 9-11, because it was within a week they passed uh, the Patriot Act and set the stage for that. And then the first military operation was uh, starting a war in in uh in afghanistan which lasted 20 years and uh, we still have troops there and then of course uh when we had all the killing and monstrosities in iraq and but right now domestically uh you know they use the word terrorism as you it was used even in covid you know oh you, you're not going to let us pass Pass this bill for these billions of dollars to make sure everybody gets six shots, you know, right. and, and inoculate kids who don't need it. Uh, yeah, they use it all the time. It's demagoguing. It's lying. It's it's uh, something that is a tool used by politicians. Until you have a more moral society, uh, you can't do much about it because uh, uh, this was really the contention on Adams when the Constitution was passed that uh, you, 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 the, the Constitution has has created a uh, created a republic, uh, you know, if, if you can keep it, you know, if, uh, if and that only can be done if, if it's a moral society. So just because you have a good document, we had a pretty good document. Uh that doesn't mean anything. you still have to have honesty uh mm-hmm. you know, and you have to believe in a higher law right now. I think that's the main the main problem we have is the people that I knew in Washington. when you look at the leadership of, of both parties uh they they're not concerned about right and wrong
0: no matter uh, at, at all. fact
1: uh, they they've conditioned themselves to not worry about things like that you know <laughs> that's the that's inconveniences. The
0: yeah, so, inconveniences like right and wrong. So
1: it, it boils down to the morality of the people on what the societies like. Yeah, uh, and 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 there are examples where uh, societies have done pretty well, you know. And but we've had good examples of how changes have occurred peacefully too, you know, like uh, Gandhi and Martin Luther King. Uh, they've argued a case of nonviolence resistance. Uh, it's dangerous to. Uh, you know, challenge. But if it's nonviolent, that sometimes is the only thing you have. The other thing is you can get a radio program and get a podcast and do whatever you can to reach people. So wow. I think everybody has that obligation, especially if they've grasped, you know, what this whole idea is about, about personal liberty, uh, because it's uh, it's it's the only thing that can happen because, you, you know, the social media is, won't all of a sudden hire us to say, "Hey, come on, we want you on promoting this uh, pr- promoting this freedom philosophy you have."
0: Yeah and, didn't uh, didn't social didn't you get banned at one point on social yeah, media? Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's, it's crazy. Facebook,
1: Facebook with Facebook, it wasn't long live living because because well, they got I so much was, blowback. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, it, it was there, and uh, probably the attention, uh, you know, got more sympathy for me than hurting me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's when people were like, this is ridiculous. You're going to ban Ron Paul. Like people, people woke up to how crazy you you can ban Alex Jones and maybe get away with it, but you're not going to ban Ron Paul. You mentioned the leadership and how ridiculous they are in regards to this war. I feel like they're being dangerous in their rhetoric. We got we got people talking about we should assassinate Putin, um, talking about no fly zones. Uh, This could legitimately become Nuclear at some point like that is on the table. Are the leaders being irresponsible in the way they're conducting themselves right now?
1: Oh, absolutely. But that's that's nothing new. I I, I thought they were irresponsible for a long, long time. I thought the whole system of monetary policy, which I followed for a long time, would have been that uh, you know, they were being FDR was pretty irresponsible because within days he stole all the gold from the people and said, you're not allowed to have it. And the people went along with it. So the real problem was the people accepted it. And that was that way from 1934, all the way up to 1975. We weren't allowed to own gold. So uh, there was a time that most of my life, uh, the people weren't even allowed to own gold. So that's irresponsible. And and so there's one example of uh, the reversal of that, you know, gold became legalized and, I was involved a little bit in that, but there were a lot of <clears throat> other people that uh, brought that about and got it uh, legal, but we had, we did call, you know, got the gold uh, commission to meet uh, when the interest rates were up to 21%, the gold a little bit later on got uh, legalized. And if you're going to have competing currencies, you better have gold and still legal. yes, you know, So that right. can compete too. Uh, so it's a, it, it's yeah. it's one of
0: those things. All right. Interest rates. In the, the last time we got in this situation, they raised interest rates over 20% to get us out of this mess. Raising it right now a quarter percent isn't going to do squat. Now, you mentioned the people need to buy into the message. What's so disappointing to me right now is people my age who lived through 2001 and all the horrible decisions and listened to all the propaganda about weapons of mass destruction have learned in that time that the government was lying from them. Yet right now the majority of people seem to be falling for the same propaganda, and it like it hurts my feelings about people my age. Like, how can you fall for it again? Why are people so susceptible to government propaganda? Why why can't they see this when they've already lived it?
1: Well, I I think people by nature, what an easy way out. Uh, you know, they all want to win the lottery. So they do a lot of gambling, and 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 uh, they gamble with their lives and and with their with their liberties. So it's uh, it's pretty natural. But one thing that might uh, help help a person understand this is you're thinking in terms of well, it will change if we can just get the majority of the people to agree. And I use a term all the time. It hints of that because all governments depend on the. Uh, a prevailing attitude of the people mm. uh so when the prevailing attitudes change things change so the prevailing attitude about lockdowns uh, started to change and people started speaking out and the and the pta meetings changed yeah. it to some ne- neat little things so those were those were attitude but that isn't even the that's that comes after other people lead the charge and that is the people that are in the eight percent the people in the eight percent, you know, there there was not a fifty-one percent of all the colonists who uh, lived in America before seventeen seventy-six that agreed on what was going to happen. No, but there was about eight eight percent of the people. Uh, were very well informed. I, I'm amazed how well informed they were about history and uh, you know from the various viewpoints about what what freedom was all about. So that it was there. So if you get the eight percent, they can galvanize and teach people. That's that's why I had felt mm-hmm. that uh, my homeschooling program is important to oh, yeah. go to keep reaching out to more people so that that prevailing attitude eventually changes. So uh, when people get discouraged and say, how am I ever going to get 51 percent? Don't worry about it. Get one person today and two people tomorrow to start thinking about what this is all about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Homeschooling is so important. Like they they get the kids young and fill their heads with this propaganda. And then you got them for life because you got them in their developmental years. Um, speaking of kids uh, and covid, your son was a bit of a hero during COVID. He's the only one who took the fight to Fauci. He took it to him, you know, like five, six times that I can remember really stood up against the press, like a a hero, like we needed him because nobody else was going to do it. So you got to be a proud dad. Um, This is the dad presents. So I want to ask you about that. Is there any part of you like politics? You got to be proud. He followed in your footsteps, but politics has got to be a hard life. Is there any part of you that wishes he like took it easier career trajectory than going into politics?
1: Well, I, I don't, I guess you have to define it because I never thought I went into politics. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always, yeah, you know, uh, with the discovery of Austrian economics that led up to a prediction by the Austrians that the Bretton Woods would break down and motivated me to speak out. So all I was doing was speaking out because I told my wife at the time, she says, you shouldn't shouldn't do this. This could be dangerous. Uh, you know, running for Congress. Mm-hmm. I said, "Why is that?" And she says, "Well, you're liable to win." Or you know, she said, <laughs> "I was going to win." I said, "No, I they're not going to elect me because of my uh, uh, my firm uh, beliefs." So it's um, it's something that. Uh, i as far as my children go they were all interested and always very supportive always campaign brand just loved to pol love politics and did a lot of organizing and he he's much better at politics than i am he he, he knew how to uh, you, you, you know organize and get out the vote and this sort of thing I, I i think he was very very helpful in what i was doing i was i was interested in uh, in trying to get people to think about uh, you know, monetary policy and what freedom is all about. And uh, I think there's room for both, but uh, I don't think that uh, I, uh, a lot of young people come to me and they say, okay, you're a doctor and I want to be a politician. I want to go to Congress. I said, he said, and then they'll say, what should I do to get to Congress? I said, forget it. Don't even, <laughs> don't even <laughs> pretend you do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, well, and it depends on the individual. I think sometimes, uh, you know, I was in for uh, four terms and I didn't like it. I left. I went back to medicine and there was something there always gnawing away of wanting to speak out. And uh, and I thought conditions were improving and they improve in one area, but they uh, they get bad in another area but it was also a place where people can speak out. So if people want to go in for the right reason, there's all kinds of jobs that they can do. You can work for other candidates. You can be a candidate Mm -hmm. and what all, uh, but it has to be for the right reason. If you're going to waste your time about how do I become, you know, head of the banking committee, if I had done that, I tell you what we wouldn't be having this conversation here today because because you would have never heard of me you know uh and besides i wouldn't have been able to speak i wouldn't i wouldn't have been ron paul i would have had to you, you have to raise money for the party and you have to you know you have to do everything uh to challenge them so that's a different story so it's a it turned out a vehicle for me and for others but the average person that goes to Washington, uh, they uh, drift into this notion that you have to become a professional demagogue, know how to fib and twist and mm-hmm. intimidate, and, and fool enough people to go along with your version of government intervention.
0: Yeah. Well, what you just described is a broken system that we have, and you say you say you're not very good at politics, but the truth is, you were winning after Iowa, I believe and then the media destroyed you like they they can't let a guy like you win that position because they knew you you'd tear it down. Now we're we're running out of time. I know you got to go. I want to ask just one last question. You have motivated millions of people to learn about liberty and understand its importance, myself included. Who motivated a guy like you? What what where did you learn from? Who are your who do you look up to?
1: No, not one person. There's a few that come in recent years uh, because I use things, uh, and people tend to use things that they might have heard, you know, from their teachers, and what you read, and all of a sudden they pop up in your mind, and you use that particular idea. And the name that has popped up more in these uh, recent years, because I think more about how to deliver the message, and how you persuade people, is Leonard Reed. And Leonard Reed uh, uh, was, uh, to me, the leader of the remnant uh, from through the uh, late 40s and the 50s and the 60s with the Foundation for Economic Education. And so I got to know him and he had a a technique and it was mainly persuasion. It was mainly educational and no fluff. And he was uh, a, a dignified gentleman. He knew the issues, but it was presentation on how to do it. He would never want to demagogue. He would never try to say, it's like uh, the use of force to convert you to do an, obeying in Washington, you yeah. know, uh, or you will lose your committee assignment. You will raise money for the party. He, I mean, as a matter of fact, he didn't like politics, and uh, he said he didn't like politic politi- politicians. But he had me there to speak at the fee, and and uh, of, of course he he uh, uh, had me on the board uh, at Fee for a short period of time. Matter of fact, I was on the board when Helen Senholtz was on the board at Fee. So Leonard Reed, but econo- economics and, oh, Murray Rothbard was a good teacher. Senholtz was a good teacher for me. And also, uh, of course, Mises. Mises, mm-hmm. uh, Mises is the best-known Austrian economist, and he was just straight ahead, you know, worked hard. In, about the last year of his life, he came through Houston, and I got to hear of him give a lecture. And it, it was probably in his last year. I know he was in his 90s at the time. He lectured on on socialism. But mm-hmm. I got to meet a lot of people like that. So I would say the, uh, the non, non-interventionist uh, free market uh, has influenced me more. And the various people that were close to that had a lot of influence on me.
0: Yeah, and and the Mises caucus is really picking up some steam recently and, and might do might make make some waves in the next couple of years, I hope. Um, Dr. Paul, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for what you have done for this country. Thank you for fighting for liberty. Um, fans of the show, uh, check out the Liberty Report if you're not already listening. I listen a couple times a week. It's fantastic. Um, is there anything else you'd like to tell the people before we go?
1: No, just that uh Once you discover liberty, uh, I hope you stay uncomfortable until you become a participant in spreading this wonderful message.
0: hundred percent. Thank you, Dr. Paul.
1: Thank you. Nice to be with
0: you. Man, that was great. What an absolute thrill to be able to talk to Dr. Paul, to be able to talk to one of my heroes. Amazing. Most people don't get that chance in life to speak to their heroes. Just absolutely wonderful. Super grateful. I hope you guys liked it. Anyway, Dr. Paul, guys, he's a busy man. He's got a lot to do. You know, he's, he's got to save the world, right? So the episode was a little bit shorter than usual because he only had a half hour between world saving events in his life. Uh, so since it was a little bit shorter than usual, I wanted to end the show with that Rudy Giuliani clip that I referenced earlier in the show. So here it is. Congressman, you don't think that changed with the
2: 9-11 attack, sir? What changed? the non-interventionist policies. No, non-intervention was a major contributing factor. Have you ever read about the reasons they attacked us? They, They attack us because we've been over there. We've been bombing Iraq for 10 years. We've been in the Middle East. I think Reagan was right. We don't understand the irrationality of Middle Eastern politics. So right now we're building an embassy in Iraq that's bigger than the Vatican. We're building 14 permanent bases. What would we say here if China was doing this in our country or in the Gulf of Mexico. We would be objecting. We need to look at what we do from the perspective of what would happen if somebody else did it to us. Are you suggesting we invited the 9-11 attacks, sir? I'm, I'm suggesting that we listen to the people who attacked us and the reason they did it. And they are delighted that we're over there because Osama bin Laden has said, I am glad you're over on our sand because we can target you so much easier. They've already now, since that time, have killed 3,400 of our men, and I don't think it was necessary. Wendell, may I make a comment on that? That's really an extraordinary statement. That's an extraordinary statement of someone who lived through the attack of September 11. That we invited the attack because we were attacking Iraq. I don't think I've ever heard that before, and I've heard some pretty absurd explanations for September 11. And I would I would ask the congressman to withdraw that comment and tell us that he didn't really mean that. Congressman. I believe very sincerely that the, that the CIA is correct when they teach and, and talk about blowback. When we went into uh, Iran in 1953 and installed the Shah, yes, there was blowback. Uh, the reaction to that was the taking of our hostages, and that persists. And if we ignore that, we ignore that at our own risk. That if we think that we can do what we want around the world and not incite hatred, then we, then we have a problem. They don't come here to attack us because we're rich and we're free. They come and they, and they attack us because we're over there. I mean, what would we think if, we were, uh, if other foreign countries were doing that to us? Can I have 30 seconds, please? No, 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 30 wait a second. Hey, so I'll I'll they, they, they are yeah, coming. Oh, 30 30 we, all we all want 30 seconds of We'll, we'll. Are, yeah. Wendell, go ahead. I think I want to turn to uh, Senator McCain.